Hello and welcome to Dirty Talk with Chapman and Tati. I'm Chapman. And I'm Tati. We're two college students who aim to discuss sex, romance, and everything in between. On this show, we have frank conversations about our experiences, feminist theories, sexual health, and more. So, just sit back and enjoy a little bit of Dirty Talk. Welcome back. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about heteronormativity, the patriarchies, and you. Uh, On the show today, we have Zell Moore, who is a friend and classmate and co-conspirator. I don't know. What would you say? (laughs) We're just trying to resist the patriarchy out here. I don't know. Like, honestly, we just like we share a lot of spaces with one another. Yeah. I guess that's just how I like to explain it. Co-resistor. Exactly. Um, but yeah, my name is Del Moore. Um, I'm a fourth year here at Colorado State University. I'm a social work major with a women's studies minor. Um, I also am the um, lead facilitator for WSA, which is a group outside of women's studies. Um, I've been the president for Colors for the past couple years, which is a student group on campus that aims to support and provide space for students of color who also identify as queer. And I'm also I also did like a little co-write, you know, a little shameless plug here, did a co-write for the Black Feminist Manifesto at CSU. I was one of the eight or nine writers. Was it nine? Yeah, I know all the people's name, but I always get the number wrong. (laughs) All right. And so, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Well, let's to jump in. Let's just define heteronormativity, shall we? Let's do it. I had a really cute experience with this because I have a grandmother who's very down with the cause. She's very um, she's like artsy Jewish woman. So when I talk about the things I'm studying, she I've never met with resistance, but just like a gentle curiosity. She's yeah, like, which what? is awesome. And she was like, oh, that. Like when I explained it further, she was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. We should not be terrible to gay people. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, girl. So uh, the, I would say the definition is understanding heterosexual relationships as the norm. Right. The one and the only. And not just heterosexual relationships, but also like being cisgender mm-hmm. and like just basically being, you know, straight and cis. Like expecting that to be the norm is heteronormativity. Yeah. And I feel like um, also like the biological factor goes into it. Like science and heteropatriarchy are just like so interconnected because mm-hmm. it's like you need to be a biological like cisgendered is based on like the biological nature of how mm-hmm. you're born. But mm-hmm. then we were even talking about how intersex is actually a spectrum and just yeah. even thinking about biology starts to get complicated because it's not. Um, okay, sex and then mm-hmm. gender and then this is not so clear cut and put in a box as we like to think. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Or uh, as we're made to feel like we're supposed mm-hmm. to think. And so uh, it's important to me to mention this statistic. I got it off of this article we're going to link to from Teen Vogue about uh, heteronormativity. But there's a lot of research that shows this. It's, it's just a fact of life that about 1 in 1,500 or 1 in 2,000 babies are born with atypical genitalia. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite stats to share with people because people are like, there are two genders. It's very popular with the hip, young conservatives right now. <laughs> They'll be like, there's like they have shirts. They get really excited because they think it makes us mad. And it doesn't make me mad. It's just wrong. Yeah, it's, it is <laughs> like We have incorrect. thousands of people, not even if I do that math, millions of people to show us that that's wrong. Exactly. And like atypical, like 
um, gender can mean anything. That could yeah. be hormonal. So mm-hmm. it's not as like mm-hmm. clear cut as like simply your genitalia. It, yeah, it's not a know. third category. It's not right. like now we have three. It's like, no, now you have to imagine that there's a spectrum, right? There's you're born with two parts, you're born with zero parts, one and a half. I mean Well and and I think they I think that a huge part of it is this kind of like societal love for binaries because that's mm-hmm. something that and especially like Western culture, American culture is really built on binaries. So as going so far as that like we view cats and dogs as being opposites. Um, and like so far as that we really, really masculinize dogs and view cats as very feminine and that it's like it's gay to like cats apparently. Uh, which, <laughs> this is a thing. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Um, is this a white thing? <laughs> possibly. I grew up in, you know I grew up actually, in rural you know Colorado. I'm actually really trying to think about it because I'm like thinking about like, you know, all like the black people that I even may know growing up and even like Latino folks because I grew up in like predominantly Latino communities mm-hmm. as well. We really like dogs. My mm-hmm. dad loves dogs. I don't think my dad would ever get a cat. Mm-hmm. Halfway because he's allergic, but mm-hmm. <laughs> which, you know, just even like the thought of like black people having cats um, especially just like in certain geographical places in the United States, it's just like probably unheard of. Interesting. I'm like, hmm. That's something I never knew. Well, or like maybe like women, maybe like. Yeah. Well, also like the idea that like you never see a sexy dog costume at Halloween, right? Like it's always oh, sh- sexy cats, right? Oh, so like true. it's it's the it's the feminine. But moving on from that, but yeah, binaries, right? Like going forever. Yeah, about that. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So there's like serious consequences to heteronormativity. It's not just about hurting our feelings. It's about when people are born with atypical genitalia, there's this option presented to the babies as if like, oh, no, this is a horrible abnormality. Let's fit your baby into one of the categories. And so like genital mutilation is performed without any consent to the newborn baby in ways that have disastrous effects for their future, their mm-hmm. mental health, their physical health. Orgasms. Like, and obviously, like, if, if their genitalia is, like, if there's, like, issues that need to be, like, mm-hmm. fixed to keep them healthy, like, that's that's one thing. But being right. like, we need to, like, like, you have both a penis and a working vagina. We need to get rid of one of those. Yeah. Like, there's no issue, but, like, we need to get rid of one of those so you can either be, like, a boy or a girl. Like, that's that's dangerous. Like, right. because then they will have to deal with that, like, their entire life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... I like this article that we're going to link to just because it, like, outlined a lot of the different consequences mm-hmm. to heteronormativity as far as, like, people's mental health. Like, mm-hmm. if you dress up a society to look like this is the way it is, despite overwhelming data evidence, either if you're talking about, like, people's personal stories or just, like, surveys, anatomy, like, you have all these other reasons. You have overwhelming data that people don't fit into these two categories. And uh, when you force them to fit, it hurts. Um, so thinking about that, we move into, you were saying we can't talk heteronormativity and not biophobia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping you could expand on your different experiences. Uh, yeah, sure. So like as a, as a bisexual man, as you know, as a, as a white, uh, masculine bisexual man, like I, it's one of the few things that I've experienced that really is just like, oh, this is, this is a big issue with heteronormativity and the patriarchies and that. Like, I, there's been a lot of men who I've went either when flirting with them or just talking to them about my sexuality. They'd be like, oh, I don't like dating bisexual men because I think they're just going to go back to pussy. And it, it, it's really disheartening, you know? Um, and, I, and I've heard that bisexual, bisexual women experience the same sort of issues um, with lesbians. And I've also, on the flip side of that, I've dated several women who have been like, oh, if you were to, like, hook up with a guy, that wouldn't be cheating, which is really frustrating because I, I get what they're trying to say, but it means that they see one of my, like, they see part of my sexuality as not being valid. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so that those are the two like big issues. And then I'll talk to a lot of friends I have um, who are very well meaning, and I'll be like, yeah, biphobia is a huge thing. And they're like, oh, I I've never heard of that. I'm like, yeah, it's it's very much within like both the the straight community and the queer community. Like, yeah, I feel like. Yeah, that that times 10. And just like I have like very different experiences um, because like I can never just like not talk about being bisexual without being black because that just like opens right. up a whole other fucking can of worms mm -hmm. here. Right. Mm -hmm. Because like black masculinity and black femininity are like constructed in particular ways. Mm -hmm. And oh, my gosh, where should I start? Where should <laughs> I start? So anyway, when I'm even like talking to guys, actually, I like I talk to a particular type of guy because, like I said, black masculinity looks very different than white masculinity. And ironically, a lot of the and it really does matter, like if your partner is straight or mm -hmm. or like a part of the queer community, right. specifically with the men. Mm -hmm. Right. Of course. Right. Because like women, they're they're queer. <laughs> if I'm dating a woman, they're queer. Right. <laughs> right. But specifically with the men, like I'm noticing that it really does matter. It really does matter if he's straight because he has very particular constructions of gender. Mm -hmm. Like most of the times, like I'm thinking like I rarely meet a black man that's like woke and we're like clicking because like, again, like mm -hmm. I come from a particular place. I honestly, you can't take, you can take me out of the place I was born, but you can't take the place where I was born out of me. Mm -hmm. right? right. So, mm -hmm. so I definitely have a type and it definitely um, is very much attached to like hip hop culture and those types of like constructions of masculinity, no matter how much I know that it's problematic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so they definitely are not having these conversations about mm -hmm. gender. They're still acting like, you know, smacking they, the ho homies ain't gay like yeah you feel me like you know up in the back you know up in the uh locker rooms doing like the most gay shit ever <laughs> but still coming back to me like presenting this masculinity right. and so like they start to ask the weird questions when it comes to um my my bisexuality i usually get like really nasty gross intrigue from these men about like you know oh so you've been with women right mm -hmm. oh you're mm -hmm. trying to do some other right. stuff right? right and so they definitely don't get like my relationships with women right. are more than just like you know what you see like under your gaze yeah. well, you know so. and i think that like one thing that very much differs in my experience as a bisexual man than yours as a bisexual woman is that i've never been asked to be part of a threesome and i think every mm -hmm. bisexual woman i know has been asked to be part of a threesome exactly mm -hmm. exactly um, i think this is why it's important to talk about the patriarchy's plural i've been getting into little mm -hmm. tips with people about this lately um but there's different kinds of patriarchies mm -hmm. and i think what zell helped us to shine a light on just now shows us how like heteronormativity is a certain kind of patriarchy because it says this is how to act um and then white supremacy is another kind of patriarchy because this is it, it's another way that says this is how to act mm -hmm. and so when those are both happening at the same time it leaves some people with no room to move you mm -hmm. you cannot wiggle in this space when you're told to act this way that's why um when we're talking about like black masculinity it's not that like well this just happened because black people are this way mm -hmm. there's specific yes. forces acting mm -hmm. on people's bodies exactly and i feel like um i'm glad like you brought up white supremacy because like um bringing in heteronormativity and white supremacy like i was just thinking about how um language language like when we were reading these articles to kind of prep for this 
we were just talking about how the theme of language, lack of language mm-hmm. kept coming up um, in this Teen Vogue article, right. ironically, right? Like okay, out of all the Vogue places. For being like so intense. <laughs> and then also, you know, like, you know, try to push stuff off people, but you know, whatever. But uh, <laughs> And then we were also reading this very academic, scholarly article yeah, by Susan, Susan Stryker. Yeah. And still the theme of lack of language was coming mm-hmm. up. And I said, oh my gosh, this is definitely white supremacy because what right. white supremacy does, it colonizes and it imperializes. And the first thing they do is take away language. Mm-hmm. If you think about mm-hmm. like native people, um, even co- connecting it right back to um, sexuality, eliminating the term two spirit mm-hmm. or whatever that could have been. Because mm-hmm. honestly, in English, it's not two spirit. Like in right. whatever right. language, is not two spirit. That's like yeah. English as hell, right? Like, yeah. And so just even that stripping of language and how heteronormativity is even connected to white supremacy. And that's why we also have these immense issues within the queer community about like racism mm-hmm. and hetero and even heterosexism, because like mm-hmm. people don't even know how transgender women fit into feminism right. and trans men fit into feminism and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Well, I think the Susan Stryker piece, what I pulled out of it was that um, there's different cultural trends, social conditions, historical circumstances mm-hmm. that are colliding to make transgender a hot topic, and that is on page 25. And in this piece, we read Transgender History from Susan Stryker. She's trying to contextualize this history beyond just, like, a personal person's <laughs> personal person's diary right? Uh, and into an academic thought about an entire group and what they've been through. And- Yeah, and I was just going to say, like, I wanted to bring that other history piece in because, like, that's why history is so important. Like, Mm -hmm. you have to, like, it's really interesting when people are like, oh, you're stuck in the past, right? Like, you always hear black people tell black folks, Latino folks, Asian folks, women that things were in the past and now things things have changed, right? And, like, we need to change. But it's like, no, what we're not understanding is that history is very detrimental to how we ended up here and how, like, people are, um, are very much, like, are very much living like this is exactly mm-hmm. like the reason why people are living the way they are right and that actually does have like implications for people right and what striker does for us is she points to us that like this isn't uh, conceptually conceptualizing transgender people is not like a hip new innovative thought even among progressive people who think this is like a new thing mm-hmm. this is part of an entire human history right it asks us to challenge all of our conceptions around gender, around sexuality, right? Because Stryker is a trans woman lesbian. And that kind of breaks people's brains because then they're like, then wouldn't you just be straight? No. No. A woman who likes women. And that like, what, 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 what? You know, you see mm-hmm. people like just really deny this as possible. And I think it's important to stretch the imagination among all the different ways there are to exist. And you're right that when the language isn't there, we under- we think the experience isn't there. Mm-hmm. But we have to use language appropriately. And, oh, and language, sure. we need to like grab it. I knew it. you was about to go there. I knew <laughs> you was about to go there because she was like, but because like Put there's it. so many issues with language, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. the English language. So, I mean, all languages. We were talking about how, you know, German and Spanish are both very, very gendered German, languages, Spanish, especially French. German. French. French. I, yeah. I feel. I mean, all the romantic languages are all right. very gendered. Have I talked about this on this podcast before? I do not remember about like how people draw cartoons no. in Spanish. No. Or, you don't I think, think so? so. Okay, think that's crazy. So there's a study, and I, you can find it, listener. Sorry, don't have it on me. But there's a study where they take French speakers and Spanish speakers, and they ask them to draw out a car, um, a cartoon car, 
And so because you're comparing a feminine car in French, in French and then the masculine car in Spanish, the c- Spanish speaker's car has muscles and mustaches and the French person's car has eyelashes. Huh. So the words are meant to describe reality, but what mm. the words end up doing is they create reality mm-hmm. and they help us. And so that's why words are so important. And it's not like this sensitive snowflake SJW bullshit. Right. It's. It, it contorts our understanding of the world itself in huge ways. And so what we have to do is we have to seek the new language. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Stryker does for us is lets us know it's not new language. It is old language that we are, have lost. Mm-hmm. It is a old reality, bisexuality, uh, transgender folks, uh, all kinds of... I mean, all these like different... The, it's not... I don't, I don't get this whole idea that, like, people think that it's, like, this suddenly new fad. Like, I guess it's, like, this... The, that, you know, the Alex Jones, like, the chemicals are turning the frogs gay kind of stuff, where it's, like... I <laughs> Have guess, you seen that? There's, no. There's, there's or white a, people there's, <laughs> there's now this belief that, like, something something in the water is making these kids think they're gay or it's all just, like, a face. But oh, it's my like, gosh. Nah, that's probably some that my dad would say. When you yeah? look at... And yes. you, look at, you look at, like, a lot of old, like... Even historians really struggle with it. And, um... um anthropologists really struggle with it because there'll be situations where like they'll be like we found two skeletons both like we are very sure are men like but they were like cuddling in their grave like they must have been really good friends right like <laughs> right. the best of pals or they're full like find like artistic um historical figures and they'll be like he never married he just lived with a very close friend right his whole life well, even, but i think it's just so interesting how we try to like we always even still try to label it like even though like these like even thinking about Rome, right? And mm-hmm. just honestly how these men were very, very, very gay. Well, the, the, Even especially the, the, in Egypt. The Greeks were hella gay. Especially in Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. But like now that we like try to categorize it or we try to like say that it's anything but instead of like just first off letting it be what it is. Right. Yeah. right? It could have just been not, it could have just been the cultural, it could have been a very cultural aspect mm-hmm. where it actually had like no sexuality attached mm-hmm. but we always definitely try to like justify it just because we really do try to like science and science, especially anthropology. Anthropology has like such a race history Mm -hmm. um we try to keep it confined in these boxes and find these explanations as to why like this actually wasn't like a thing right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's amazing that the hoops we will jump to have our boxes and i get it like i think that words are helpful um uh, for organizational purposes um if we just like had music and noises to sing to each other, like it would get chaotic quickly. We need to organize ourselves with words, with binaries and assumptions. But then we have to take those words, binaries and assumptions and, and ask what they do are doing for us. Because mm-hmm. when they're not organizing and they're not helping and they're hurting and they're killing, that's a problem. Well, that, and that, get, that kind of transition to our final topic of like, what can we do? Like, what, what, what should we do? What do we do now? Mm-hmm. Like we we've talked about this, like all the issues of heteronormativity and the patriarchies, but what's the next step? I wanted to bring up in in my thought about the future is a experience Ellen and I had in class when some <laughs> woman was trying to like make a comment, and I think it was like ultimately like a, a fairly interesting comment, but she had felt the need to preface it with "I'm a very heterosexual woman," and I think like some of us just made eye contact, like yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like unlikely. Right. It's like unlikely and if that's like if that's your truth like, you know, who are, you know, who are we to judge? But it's like she said an interesting comment because I think it's very much playing on 
what our perception is like honestly that comment was just very much filled with like heteronormativity mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. hetero like in heterosexuality and just like i just think that she had like very confined ideas of not only her sexuality but actually her gender too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like that was very exemplary for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so i think academics like susan striker New writers, like in our research, we looked at the Teen Vogue article and then I ended up down a rabbit hole of like Vice and Refinery and all these like hip, trendy, um, new media outlets. And I think that what we can do um, in our practice is start to question all of these things we hold tightly and, and all the time and just wonder like before you are out here trying to be an activist and you're like, I'm a straight, cis, white ally. Like just think about like, no, what are you? Um, because not a, not all of this is set in stone and master's tools kind of like you cannot use the confines that are meant to harm you to fix the situation, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think people want to like own when they don't have privilege because I think it's inauthentic to be like, um, I read some feminist work once, so I'm queer. Um, <laughs> I think <What>? it's, <laughs> yeah, right? Like I think, it's not necessarily a good idea to be like, nothing is real because you were bringing up like, despite these concepts being very much constructions, they have really real implications, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we take these and and question them and pick them apart and then understand the the power that they hold? Mm -hmm. No, no, I mean, I think I agree with all your points. Like it's, it's just, it's important, you know, to recognize like that privilege, but then recognize that the language you're using to identify that privilege is also problematic. But right, but and like there's there's obviously nothing wrong with being like a straight white cis ally. Like that's amazing. We we need as many allies as possible. Like that's that's not an issue. Like the issue is just being like, oh, I'm proud of this stuff. It's like yeah, that's awesome. But like, can, or can we further. be proud? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like even like going a little further that it's more than just. Like acknowledging your privilege, I think actually pretty much across this across a big scale, most people do acknowledge your privilege, especially if you're claiming to be an ally. Mm-hmm. You do have like basic understanding of like mm-hmm. acknowledging your privilege, but as me and Tatiana know, especially through these classes, the rabbit hole gets a lot deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. <laughs> mm-hmm. And but of course, like not everybody has the accessibility to actually go that deep, which is kind of sad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but acknowledging that it's powerful like it is mm-hmm. literal power because when we think about privilege we start thinking that is this is more of an individual thing and mm-hmm. so while it is and people do need to change their day-to-day lives to really say like to really start engaging with like practicing all mm-hmm. these different things it is a system that mm-hmm. is affecting and it's larger than just what individually you, like you are doing right. and that's always why we also think like discrimination and racism is very individual mm-hmm. when it's not yeah. All the time. Right. It's acting on all of us. That's one of my biggest takeaways from my academic work. I know we're running out of time here. But one of my bigger takeaways is that um, feminism, and particularly the feminism that we're into, um, multiracial decolonial feminism, it, it looks at how we are all gendered racialized bodies. And I think mm-hmm. that's what looking at heteronormativity does. Mm-hmm. More than just being like, I'm straight and I'm privileged. Let me help you. Great. Great start. Totally awesome. But bigger than that, how does heteronormativity confine and constrain all of us? Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that you can just go deeper into your mind to understand um, who you are and who you've been made to think you are. 
aka okay. read, Dude. take baby steps. Yeah, <laughs> read, paint, smoke weed. I don't know. Dude. Cry, <laughs> cry. <laughs> well, that about wraps it up. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, peace, love, and hot comb. I'll see y'all later. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you have any questions, comments, be sure to email me, Chapman at c c r o s k e l l at collegian dot com. And tune back in for our next and most likely final episode. Yeah, love it. Have a good one. Uh-huh.